From TLDR News, this is Too Long Didn't Read. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the TLDR podcast. I am joined remotely today by Zach. Hello. And Ben. Hello. And for the first time ever, none of us are in the same room. We're all separate. We're all self-isolating. Yeah. How are we all doing? Everyone healthy? Everyone doing well? Yeah. yeah is everyone healthy? And no one's got a cough? Nothing like that? No. No. I've not got any of the symptoms. Ooh. I'm all good. Lucky what about us. you? You could be an asymptomatic shedder. Which is what be. I call little kids asymptomatic shedders these days. They annoy me. <laughs> All of them. Mm. I was running around the, the throat. <laughs> what were you saying, Ben? Asymptomatic what? Shedder. It's I, people who what? can still shed the virus, but they don't show any symptoms. That's actually like uh, a medical term, but it sounds so like nasty. You I know? see. Yeah. If I a see. little kid laughs at you, you just abusive. you little asymptomatic shedder. Right. I and, see. Yeah. Love that. I mean, yeah, what actually, a time to. What a time to spread more negativity and more <laughs> hatred. No, it's just a dare being... Beautiful thing. I was at the park the other day and they were laughing at my little brother. Um, Why are they laughing at your brother? Because, to be fair to him, it was he was it was it his birthday and he was wearing a silly little like pink thing on his head. And, <laughs> okay. Um, just, I don't really know why. Anyway, and there was this little kid being like, ooh, look at that, who's that silly man? And they were saying it quite loud. And so you just go, yeah. you little asymptomatic shedder, straight out there. <laughs> And uh, this is not how I expected it to begin. <laughs> what a great start. Let's move on. What an anecdote. Yeah. Anyway, it's a good insult if you want to really get to someone. Especially kids, though. Yeah, especially kids. If you're getting angry at kids, go wild. But yeah, no. So people have been encouraged to self-isolate increasingly over the last week. We were just saying before we started recording that it was only a week ago the UK government were encouraging kind of a herd mentality kind of herd immunity kind of uh strategy and now we're gone for complete isolation um it's been kind of mixed i think the success of it i'd be interested how well you think it's gone so far both of you um Mm. there's been some negative reaction from the government towards uh how well people are taking on the advice Mm. Uh, i saw that um nick uh that hancock was on I think it was BBC Breakfast this morning, uh, criticising people for not staying at home enough and threatening essentially that um, the government would increase kind of restrictions if they weren't, if people weren't following the rules. Uh, I think the quote is, "People are very selfish for not following the advice." Yeah, it's. How do you think it's going so far? Well, Ben, how is it in Nottingham? Fine. I, I mean, I've heard a lot of people saying that oh, people aren't following it, but. I mean, I know, I know anecdotal evidence is just the worst, but I, I, from what I can see, I don't see many people outside. I mean, I, I haven't really left much recently, so it's, it's hard to really say. But when I've like yeah. walked to the shops and things like that, like I don't see that many people about. Um, people seem to be taking, like my social media feed is just full, absolutely full of people going about how selfish people are for going out, how serious this is. And it seems yeah. to be like that sort of, I mean, there was an article I was reading the other day that was saying that the government, I, I can't remember what the title was, but it said somewhere in it, like, is the government's approach a stroke of beha- behavioural psychology genius? Um, because, you know, it, they've not imposed any legal sanctions on going outside, but there's this sort of culture of shaming and guilting people for doing it now. And they're almost yeah. like relying on that that culture of shaming and guilting to keep people indoors. And from, as I say, from what I can see from my social media feeds, that is all people are doing now. Like, is completely just people going, do not go outside. Anyone that's going outside is terrible. Like, oh, I saw these people outside. They've gone to this. They, they shouldn't be doing it. It's like, it is just 
full of that. So I have to say, I think I, I think that article is nonsense. Whoever wrote it, because uh, and I also think that the social media thing. I've got the same thing: is that everyone's constantly going on about how it's immoral to go outside or hang out with people and all that sort of thing. But yep. London is full. Like the, I went to the park yesterday, and it has never been fuller. There've never been more people in the park. Mm. Um, yeah. And there was some actual non-anecdotal evidence for it, which is City Mapper monitor essentially what percentage of normal journeys are going on. And in the rest of the world, like the rest of Europe, it's about 5%, like tops. Depends on the city, but somewhere between like 3 and 7%. In London, it was 30%, which means Whoa. that in terms of like our social distancing, we're really yeah. not slowing down. Maybe it depends on place to place. But I think that the government's approach so far, the sort of... Um, or the government's new approach was just essentially trying to guilt people into staying inside yeah. is not yeah. a good approach, especially when they started off with the whole herd immunity thing. You mm. know what I mean? I, and I think that it's annoying when someone like Matt Hancock, and I sound like some sort of right-wing journo here, you know, like, who are the government to tell us what to do? But it's, <laughs> it is mildly annoying when, you know, you guys spent the first sort of couple of weeks when everyone else was freaking out being like, it's all right, herd immunity let's get yeah. 80% of the population infected and we've now done a U-turn and gone oh my god we were wrong so I think any but complacency they, in the public is actually mainly down to the government again I suppose the government were from what I understand they're following scientific advice and their excuse last week for backtracking on herd immunity was that the science was no longer there for that and the models were showing that that was an ineffective approach no but so, so we, we did I did well, you know we did actually have to do a bit, we did a video on this obviously so cheeky plug mm. um and it might have been the scientific consensus in government, but it didn't seem to be the scientific consensus anywhere else. Like, no one else went for that sort of approach. No, no one else no, started uh, off as yeah. lax. So the scientific consensus thing obviously swings both ways. It depends on what you think the scientific consensus is, unfortunately. Um, and I think what really happened, there was an article in the Sunday Times. Did you guys see this yesterday? The Dominic Cummings thing uh, in the Sunday sure Times? Oh, yes. No. Sorry. Yes, I did. Yeah. Oh, so basically there was some guy, well, it's, it's obviously all hearsay and leaking and all that sort of thing. But what apparently went down is Donald Cummings got pretty hyped on the whole herd immunity thing, as did the scientific advisors, and they thought it was a pretty good idea. And then a couple of days into it, they realized that this isn't going to work. So I don't think it was a scientific consensus thing. Um, I think that Are you implying here that it was Cummings? That, that's what the Sunday Times is saying. Like, I'm... I'm going to go with that. I think it's completely plausible. This is the herd immunity thing only works if you have absolute faith in your models, yeah? Yeah. Because yeah. that's the main premise that you can control using models the inflow and outflow of people into the NHS to make sure yeah. that it's stable at any one time. And the person who absolutely loves models is Dominic Cummings. He yeah. loves his models. So I think yeah. that adds up. Um but I don't think their argument that it was scientific consensus then and it's now not scientific consensus adds up. I think there are essentially two different policies. And as we noted, the worst of both worlds is if you go for the herd immunity policy and then decide to change your mind halfway through, which is exactly what yeah. they've done. Mm. And do you think they changed their mind for scientific or medical reasons? Or do you think it was primarily a political move of it was getting some pretty serious backlash yeah, from the public? Yeah, it was getting serious backlash. And not even just from the public. Globally, like the WHO was saying it wasn't a good model. Uh, people all over the world were criticising the UK's approach. So do you think it was more that that led to the change? Or do you think it was more of the NHS was struggling, a scientific logic? I think it was both. But I, I, I actually think it was more... I know, maybe it was... I think it was more scientific as 
opposed to political, rather mm. more statistical as opposed to political. I think they quickly realised that actually trying to predict accurately the number of people going into and out of the NHS with something like coronavirus, when you're not really ever sure of how many people are infected at any one time, yeah. or are you... Um, what was the last thing? We talked about in the video, there were two things that's very hard to predict. Uh, essentially, I think it's just exponential growth and the fact that you have like a, a week-long delay between infection and symptoms just yeah, means yeah. that it's very, very difficult to predict that. And I think they realised once, especially the NHS in London, really started stressing out that yeah. it was just not going to work, like your model's just not accurate enough. And I think it's telling that they didn't publish their models. Um, yeah, Because if, if they were using some sort of like, you know, um, agent-based model to, to do that, then they should have published it. Yeah. Yeah. I have one more so, interesting thing. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Ben. But the yeah. one last thing is that on politicians using models, I was mm. I had a mate who, who does some of this agent-based modeling stuff, and he was talking... So this was pre-corona, and he was talking about how... Um, I don't know if I can give... I probably can't give his name. But anyway, he was talking about how uh, he was obviously asked, because he does it at Oxford, and he's like a proper... You know, like he's that's what he does, and he was talking sure. about how like the Lib Dems and Conservatives and all of them came to talk to him and his guys when it was campaign period because they wanted to get in on that like you know the sort of like Cambridge Analytica using new models to predict like the most efficient advertising and stuff like that, um, mm -hmm. and he was saying like how pathetically inadequate UK politicians are at using. Um, models because mainly because the money's not there um, so he was talking about how the Lib Dems they sent out the most personalised adverts in the campaign and how their model was just an exceptionally simple there were two ways of doing models one is just very very simple where you stratify demographics so you have you just essentially go like you know you split up the population into women and men men who live in yeah. Salford you know what I mean and then you just mm -hmm. end up with a very specific demographic. That's how you target them. Uh, and you don't at all monitor the interplay between those demographics. So, for example, like a good example is if you shared, uh, if you sent out a very specific ad to old men who live in Brexit voting towns. Yeah, you're the, you're the Brexit party. Yeah. And you sent out to your yeah. sort of core voter base. You would, if you're just using a very simple stratified model, all you monitor is how well that demographic responds to that ad. You yeah. don't monitor, for example, like the impact of that ad on other demographic groups. You sort of isolate it very, very selectively. Sorry, this is turning into a massive rant. Anyway, the point is, is that, for example, and it has happened, when like Vote Leave sent out that very aggressive ad about, do you remember the, the Merkel ad? Where like, um, we've been ordered around by Krauts before, we're not going to be ordered mm -hmm. around by them again. So they obviously sent that out to a very specific demographic. They thought that that would work, and it probably did work in that specific demographic. Like for the old, slightly racist people who still think we're in a world war, they probably thought like, "Yes, come on, this is great." Um, but then yeah. once it got shared, they didn't essentially account for the the impact of that sort of leakage into other demographics and how that might affect your voters. Anyway, the point is that the Lib Dems and they use the most sophisticated model had a super super simple model, and I think that UK politics has a long way to go and needs a lot more money before it can start comfortably relying on complicated stuff like agent-based models. But surely that's that's different because that's that's almost like um, 
privately enlisting people to run your models for you in the in the in the um, realm of like political campaigning. Whereas this, you're getting scientists from top universities to run. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. Models. It is. Like, it these, is different. They're like, two different like, types of because, politics. Yeah. Because just because they're they're you know completely uh, bad at using them, like it's not the politicians running them now. It's not. It's the scientists doing that. So I understand what you're saying, and that, that British politics is has has had a history of not being good with models. But in yeah, this no, no. I, so I agree with you there. And if if they were solely sort of like academics at top universities offering their models, but it didn't seem to be like that because that's normally public work. So there were a lot of academics going, can the government please publish its own models? Because yes. they had models and they were all public and everyone could see what like John Hopkins or Oxford University thought, how they thought coronavirus would develop. Yeah, But the yeah. government obviously had its own models. And you're right that actually what I said doesn't necessarily follow that the government is bad at using models. It just follows that political parties are inexperienced with models. But yeah. I think that's fair evidence to the more general point that British politics has to like isn't isn't well enough experienced in using sort of like high tech modeling and all that sort of like futuristic stuff to start making policy based on it. Yeah, and I might be wrong. You you might be right. You that Dominic Cummings might have it. It might not be Dominic Cummings or even the Conservative Party more specifically. He might have had just sort of academics and all that doing his modeling for yeah. him who were better versed in it. But it didn't feel like that. I mean, I'd hope. I'd yeah. really hope that's the case. <laughs> I really hope it's not Dominic coming sat there with his laptop just hitting enter. Oh, that one works. He's got an Excel spreadsheet up. Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah he's got an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, with just a big red, like green tick coming up when it's, uh, <laughs> when, it, when it's the right one. No, I'm really hoping that's not the case. Um, Sorry, that was a rant anyway. But what what do you think about the, the government's approach now? Because from my understanding, they've been saying the whole way through, at least, well, at least through the last week, that they're implementing the right policies at the right time. That's that's their like line at the minute, which is that yeah. whenever anybody criticises them for not closing schools quick enough or for not enforcing people to stay indoors or for not forcibly closing pubs, they're saying we're do it, closing at the right time where the models tell us that it's the right time to do so. So do you think that they... Like, do you buy into that reasoning, and do you think that they are doing that, and that they are waiting for the right time to close things, or do you think there's some other reason that they haven't, for example, impo- told people they have to stay inside over the last week? Jack, what do you think? Yeah, I think it is at least partially they are trying to do things at the right time. I think that is a good thing to be doing just from a kind of technical perspective. You don't want to panic people too soon. This is clearly going to go on for quite a while. uh, And we don't want things shutting down before they have to, because that just makes the whole process more painful and means people are more likely to give up um, quicker on it. And then in the later stages, when we need people's continued persistence. um, They won't be invested anymore. But I think it's also just, it's a really painful political thing to do. Johnson so clearly through his announcements, through the strategies they're taking, he doesn't want to be the really tough guy who's saying, you can't go home. You can't leave your home, I mean. He doesn't want to become like a nanny state prime minister. He Mm. wants to have at least some flexibility in there. Um, So I think it is partially a good strategy. I mean, it might be a good strategy full stop, but it's partly because it's a good strategy and it is... Uh, reasonable not to shut things down and make things harder than they have to be but I think it is also they're trying to do um, what they can to kind of keep people on side um, politically as well as for the spread of the virus I think I think 
just while you're talking about that, like I, I remember reading something yesterday. Um, just I don't think it was like by any journalist; it was just somebody's opinion. But they were saying like, con- con- the conservative ideology is very opposed to getting so involved in people's lives, and they're very yeah. much down to like personal responsibility. And it seems like that's the approach that they're going with, which I hadn't thought of before. But I also I don't know. I just don't. I don't buy that like like massive overarching ideologies are guiding the government's decision at least i don't like to think that's what's happening that that they're willing to put ideology like overarching ideology above pragmatically what the best thing to do is in this situation like i just i don't know maybe i'm uncomfortable with that idea being the reality so i'm kind of I'm I'm trying to think that that's not the case. And I don't think it is. I do think it's probably... I, I think that they're probably guided by the models and that the, they are going to do things when the models suggest are the best times to do things. Because, you know, they, they were saying things about... And again, there's been scientists that, that um, oppose this as an idea, but like self-isolation fatigue. And I know that that's been a really like contested concept uh, over the last few weeks because some scientists have been saying there's just not enough evidence to suggest there is such thing as self-isolation fatigue. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know this is contested whether they have to concern themselves with um when the right thing when the right time is to impose measures because you know they could just impose them now until until uh the end of this crisis but then obviously I, there's surely got to be a point at which people aren't comfortable staying indoors for a, a long amount of time so that if that is the case then there's got to be a right time to impose them if, if, if there's a time limit on how long people stay indoors. So I don't know. I'm uncomfortable with the idea that they're being guided by an overarching ideology that's telling them that they should allow people personal freedom in this situation. Uh, so I'm more inclined to believe that they're guided by models. Yeah, I think you're both... I think the point you both made about how there was obviously a time limit on people's compliance. Like, you can't yeah. keep people inside forever. So they're obviously you want to get these things done as late as possible in that sense because it means you maintain discipline for as long as possible. But um, yeah, I, I think and that's probably what they'd say, isn't it? They'd probably say the reason we delayed closing schools is because there's only so long we can do this for, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. So the, but I think that that's partly true, but I do think that most of the original delay was because the government was slightly set on the herd immunity tactic. And yeah. That, I think they realised pretty soon that, well, at least, again, there's an, it's worth reading for anyone, the Sunday Times article, that Dominic Cummings started off like that and then apparently realised a couple of days later, oh, my God, what have I done? We can't but, do this. Can I just can I just ask you about this, Zach? So if you if you think that the herd immunity, they've U-turned on the herd immunity thing, the reason they're doing this now is because they've they no longer buy herd immunity. Yeah. Um, so do you, do you think that they would have imposed things at different points if they'd have gone with this strategy from the beginning yeah so what i'm saying yes i do you do yeah I, so, I think we would have introduced you were talking about how you know this is a very conservative response is to not actually force people to stay indoors but encourage them to i think yeah. we would have at least started hearing encouraging signs stuff like please stay indoors start social distancing earlier um yeah or at least, and just more in line with the global response, uh, time time wise. You know what I mean? Like okay. It was pretty obvious that even with countries with similar rates of infection to ours, would especially like Germany, were taking things a lot more seriously a lot earlier than we were. Yeah. You know, we had but, that. There was that graphic up that again. I don't know. If, we, you know, for everyone plugging our video again on the herd immunity thing, where you could see the measures that had been taken across Europe. 
And we have a pretty average... Jack, what are we in the world, infection-wise? Infection-wise, we're about 10th in the world. Yeah, so we had... Uh, uh, let me just... We're pretty yeah, we're 10th in the world for infection, and we're about... Yeah, and we're about 6th in the world for deaths. Um, so slightly higher in deaths than infections, unfortunately. So we were pretty high up there, and Newsnight did a thing where they compared the responses of basically all the countries in Europe and other, the con- other countries that were significantly hit. Um, and we had taken none of the measures. We were still just telling people to wash their hands and chill out. Yeah. Um, and everyone else had started closing, banning public gatherings over 500 people, closing bars, closing clubs, uh, all that sort of thing. Um, but what the, the point that I suppose I'm trying to make is that once they've U-turned, do you think they'd have done anything that they haven't done yet? Like, do you, like if they're guided by the science and they're saying that uh, we're going to close things at the right time, then surely that's irrespective of whether they've U-turned. Because if they haven't, if they haven't told everyone they have to stay indoors yet, then whether they've U-turned or not, that still wouldn't have happened. Like they're waiting for the right time. I understand completely what you're saying about the fact that they would have advised people. Oh, so, to stay so you're indoors. okay. Fair enough. So ultimate measures. So stuff like so. You're right that obviously, given that they haven't gone to the, the very extreme yet, yes. that they prob and and given that they have already you turned on herd immunity, presumably exactly. they wouldn't have gone to the extreme or done anything more than they have done any earlier. I see yeah, what you mean. That's, that's yeah. the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I and I think that's probably true. But I think that the measures that came in quite quickly, one after the other. You know what I mean? They had the whole, yeah. the very quickly social distancing, closing certain things, coronavirus bill gives powers to like actually ban gatherings those came sort of day after i can't remember what they were what all what order were they there was they banned in in terms of what what, so monday was social distancing yeah um fridays the schools were closed so they announced on thursday that the schools would close on friday Um, friday was closing schools rest uh bars and restaurants and that kind of stuff yeah yeah it was yeah so i think we probably Um, would have closed I, I obviously don't know i don't have their models but i think they would have probably closed stuff earlier had they not been over herd immunity at the time i think that would have yeah. come in before i think the fact that they agreed to close schools was that is testament to the fact that they weren't that they that that's the sort of indicator for when they u-turned you see what i mean mm. yeah the keeping schools open is a classic herd immunity tactic because obviously that's a very effective way of getting the younger population infected while keeping the older population, or at least hypothetically, isolated yeah. from that. Um, and I think that that is the sort of the clearest indicator of when the U-turn happened. But yeah, post U-turn happening, obviously, yeah. you're right. That why would they still be delaying things? So that I don't. I do, so yeah. So just, I mean, you've just kind of just kind of touched on that. But um, so obviously they were announced at the five o'clock. Um, press briefings what, what do you actually make of those five o'clock press briefings like are you on board with them what what's your what's your opinion yeah because that's kind of it's kind of a strange thing that they're doing that every day yeah but i think it's because originally the comms was absolutely appalling they were terrible yeah it was yeah, so yeah. bad yeah. and it was it was the same as the brexit thing like it was a number 10 source who's obviously someone like cummings or someone cummings told to do something you know what i mean like going to robert yeah. peston and leaking it to his twitter i mean what the I'm going to swear, what the fuck is going on with that? Like, that's just completely yeah. stupid. You, you can't be leaking stuff to Peston so he can plug it on his Twitter at three o'clock in the afternoon. It's really, really pathetic. Um, yeah. And so I think this is a far better way of doing it. Um, yeah. 
yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I quite like the, the five o'clock briefings. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm maintaining the page on the TLDR website that's got all the updates. So I'm kind of like, I'm having to watch them all every day. Um, and you're I, loving I, it, really. I, lo- I actually do. I actually quite like them. Like it's. In a weird way, it does feel a little bit like something from a dystopian novel. That like, we're like, I'm sat down tuning into to our leader, seeing what <laughs> personal freedoms are going to be taken away tomorrow. Like, <laughs> it is a little bit like 1984. Like, uh, but I, I'm not. That's not a criticism in the slightest. Like, these things obviously have to happen, and yeah, I can I can see why they are. Um, so it is the right thing to do. It's just it. And it's just obviously they're going to have to take away some stuff, but um, I quite yeah I, I'm quite liking them. Like they are, it's very clear. It's very, I mean, it's very clear in the sense that at five o'clock I know that's happening. I know that there's probably going to be some changes tomorrow uh, because of that. Some of them have been more useless than others. Like there was one a few days ago. Some of them have been really useless. Yeah, and because I'm like right in the summaries, and I'm like, there's just nothing here. Like there was one the other day where the biggest the biggest news for it was the five p bags been waived. It's like, yeah, what? like you need a full press conference for that. Like with everything going on, five <laughs> p the five p carrier bag charge has been waived. It's like really. Also, like, don't host s- them just for the sake of hosting them. Just because you say yeah. you do them five o'clock every day, if there's no new information, just go. All right, don't worry about it. Just come tomorrow. We're fine. Or just like, do a five o'clock yeah. thing. that be like we're keeping the current measures in place. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. would be super chill. Yeah. Also, I feel like quite a lot of the briefings they're not overly prepared when it comes to the answers to a lot of the questions Mm. especially when you look at things like school closures they announce the school closures but then basically every other question that came out of that wasn't answered i mean there were some things they were prepared for but there were so many questions around how exams would work who exactly was included in the list of like essential workers like really fundamental questions that people had that they were making a big announcement and then all of the detail was to come later and i completely appreciate that this isn't an easy time to be working in government no matter what department you're in no matter what party you're in whatever but i feel like sometimes the press conferences can lead to more confusion and more concern just because they don't have all of the information they need and as i say it's not always easy to have that information um but i feel like although sometimes they're really to their to the point and like really clear with what's happening other times there's not enough detail there um the follow-up questions aren't really answered they rely on kind of fallback um we're going with the scientific advice as fast as like as time like is necessary and all those kind of like classic responses yeah. and it's like we could do with more detail here i think yeah yeah no definitely i think you're completely right but it's just i think the si- obviously the situation's updating so quickly and they probably talking about this all the time like they they just yeah i suppose they just don't have the the detail they're announcing the big measures and it seems like what they've done over the last week is they've announced a big measure and then the following day they've given you all the information about that so yeah the schools are the classic example of that there's been i'm i can't think off the top of my head but there's certainly been a few times this week where i've thought that where i've thought oh they've announced this and then there's been the follow-up question they've all gone oh yeah there was the thing yesterday which was about the uh oh what's it called like those the little like community hubs or something that will help out delivering things to people. Okay, sure, yeah. Um, and like food 
packages to people who need them, like vulnerable people. And all the questions were like, yes, but realistically, how will that work? And they've gone, uh, we'll give you more detail later. It's like they've done that. They've done that like a few times over the last week. So I suppose that. But, but again, I can I can completely understand that. Like it's it's evolving so quickly. They've probably come up with that. And if you say that, and then things change or it's wrong, like that doesn't look good either. So, you know, I I, I can completely appreciate that. But all in all. Um, I, I quite like them. They're, they're a lot more clear. I know exactly when it's happening. It's not like I'm not like on BBC News and I'm like, oh, wait, that happened. Yeah, I didn't realize that was happening. Like, I know it's happening at a certain time. Like, it's quite easy to, yeah. to, to follow along with. Yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. So that, that's been quite good. What have you two, so in kind of light stuff, what have you two been doing to um, keep in contact with people? Have you got any new routines? How have, you, how's, how have things changed for you both um, with social distancing? Jack, why don't you start? Well, I mean, I don't really have a good answer to this. I feel like I've not done a whole lot yet. Um, <laughs> well, I guess you... we've only been in... Sorry. Oh, no, you keep it. going. No, I was going to ask you what you were doing. Like, are you doing anything exercise-wise? Like, you're still running? Yeah, yeah. And that's probably the best part of the whole day for me, is actually getting outside. Um, but yeah, no, because we've only been doing it for a week, really. I feel like I've not really needed to make any significant changes. Like, me and Ross are living together, obviously, so I see him every day. Um, and talking to people like you guys and people through TLDR, like, and just talking to people normally, like, through, like, Messenger and stuff. Yeah. I've not really made any drastic measures. I've heard, like, some pretty cool stuff that people have been doing over Skype, over, like, uh, the Netflix watch party thing I saw you did yeah, yesterday, Ben. I did, yeah. But besides that, like, I feel like I've not felt, like, the need to be in so contact what with people What is the yet. Netflix watch party? Oh, you like it's this. It's pretty show. cool. I just, like <laughs> we'll I'll explain it. In a, I'll let Jack finish and I'll explain it. I don't really have anything else to say. I was just going to say, I haven't felt lonely enough to actually start trying yet. <laughs> I think maybe the next week or so when just... I get sick of it. But at the moment, I'm not hating it yet. I'm still pretty okay. busy with TLDR things. That I pr- feel like I've pretty much done nothing yet. Do you think it's yeah. a nice advantage having um, having Ross living with you? You see what I mean? Like Yeah. Yeah, I, if I was on my own, this would be a completely different story. Or even um, just without a partner. Like, I I feel sorry for the singletons, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Ben's living with people still. Yeah, so he's yeah, still yeah. kind of okay. I feel like if you're living on your own, this is really rough. Yeah. Um, especially older people. Um, it, it does but actually... for me, because... Yeah, you keep going. Because I can do all of the work from home, the only real change for me is I'm not coming into the office every day. Um, which I do really miss. Like as time goes on, I'm realizing how much I don't like working at home. I enjoy oh, yeah, the I routine of coming into the office. I enjoy like the separation of things. I like getting outside, I like seeing people. Um, yeah, I'm really yeah. not enjoying that. Um, but practically from like a human contact perspective, I feel like I'm not all that different from normal. Um, and as you mentioned, Zach, like still going for runs, still going outside. I feel like we're actually not being that great with going to shops just because as Ross and I are getting used to like the new world, how it's kind of working, we're not really prepared for anything. So I feel like we've been going to the shops too much, like food shops. Obviously, we're not going to like clothes shopping. That's insane. Um, But like food shops, we're going to like too regularly. So we need to work out like a proper routine. Um, Mm. But yeah, no, we're we're fine. Not a whole lot of changes, to be honest. Yeah, I I was going to ask, like on the on the working from home thing. Does it affect mm. like the quality of work? Because I just cannot work. It no, just neither. doesn't work at home. Doesn't work. Um, I would hope not significantly. I mean, 
You've got a good I, way to excuse I mean, any whack TLDR videos that come out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, videos I, are still being pumped out, so there's, it's, yeah. it's clearly working well enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it makes too much difference. Personally, I don't enjoy doing it. Um, I find it a lot harder to build up motivation to do things at home um, versus when I'm here. Um, also, just like, I really don't enjoy being inside a lot. I'm just like, not that kind of person. Um, so I find just per like from like an emotional perspective, I'm not really in the right headspace to be doing like a load of reading and stuff. Um, so, I mean, I don't think it makes that much practical difference because everything that we do at TLDR I can do from my laptop. So I've got an internet connection. I've got a laptop. Um, I'm bringing home microphones today. Um, so it's like, yeah, I, there's not a whole lot to, of change, um, but I'm not enjoying it. No. So, no, I'm, yeah. I've been. I've, I don't know. I'm. I'm almost like the other way around. Like I quite like being at home. I'm quite like. It's quite nice not having oh, anywhere. When you say to go home, to. Ben, you're talking. Yes. You're talking your house in Nottingham. My house in Nottingham. So my student house. Yeah. yeah. So I've. I've kind of made the decision that I'm going to be staying here for a little while. Um. So, I. I it's quite. I. I quite, I'm quite liking that now. But maybe that's just because it's been a short amount of time. Like it's good to be able to do things when I want to do things, as opposed to when I have to do things um so that that element of things is quite nice but maybe that's just because it's been a short amount of time but on the other hand so for example I, i'm living with a couple of people but they're just friends of mine so i i don't i don't live with my girlfriend for example so i'm having to find ways around around that of uh, of speaking to her which is um one of the things that jack was saying was about that netflix party and i uh if you, you so presumably you haven't heard about this then zach no i haven't okay so it's it's a it's an add-on to chrome you can add uh, where you um, you share a you, you click it and you share a link when you're watching a, a Netflix page and it sync you send it to someone else they they click it and it syncs up the video that you're watching to the same time so if one person pauses it it pauses it for the both of you and it adds a chat window to the right hand side oh that is quite so you, cool so you can effectively watch you can effectively watch shows together. Uh, at the same point and talk to each other as well about about the show so it's actually like i thought it'd be quite it'd, it'd just be like tacky when i first did it but to be completely honest like the, because you've got the chat window you're talking about what's happening on the screen at the same time so if something yeah. like big happens plot wise you can go oh my god didn't expect that or something and you can talk about that on there and it actually works really well and because the chat window is actually on the same screen as the, the so you're not like switching between tabs to talk it's it's a lot more seamless i don't know i just i think that's really good um the other thing that i've been doing as well recently is um so obviously it's mother's day yesterday um mm -hmm. and because i'm not i'm staying obviously in my nottingham house I've, i'm not at home with my mum so um what the way that we got around that was um i found that there's a uh, an online pub quiz that's been going on at seven o'clock every night which i've been doing for the last few nights actually um so they they do a live stream on twitch of two like presenters presenting it and then they have uh, google forms so you fill the forms in and then they mark it over the next day and at the next pub quiz they announce where everyone's come and they publish a list of all the team names so there's about i've only got back um, I only looked at one of the quizzes that I've done so far, and we came something like fifty something out of nine hundred. So we did we did pretty well. But I, I did that last night with my mum and my nan. So we did a video oh, call. Fun. Did a video call, and um, we all got the live stream up, and we're all talking to each other about the answers. And I filmed the form in. So we've said we're going to do that every night now. So that's another it's another thing we're doing to get around everything. And I'm just video calling people a lot. Like I'm because there's obviously I'm only living with two of my friends, so I, I'm I'm not with people a lot so i'm 
like a lot of my days spent video calling and catching up with people. Um, yeah. And obviously eight ball pool as well, um, which I'm great obviously. at. Obviously. Um, <laughs> obviously. So, so yeah. Uh, I don't think I've played either of you eight ball pool yet. I'm not sure I've ever played it at all. I've seen other people playing it. Yeah, I miss that hype train. Like, I've just uh, never got into it that much. Maybe now's the time. Well, I'm getting you both into After this call, I'm starting a match with both of you. I feel like generally, though, people are like talking about how much free time they've got and doing what I do. I feel like I've had no more free time than normal. Like, because mm. during the weekend and things, I was still making videos. Cause it was like, why shouldn't I? Like, it doesn't feel like the weekend, really. Um, so when people are like doing crazy stuff and finding like, exciting and new ways to keep yourself entertained i'm like i don't think i've really experienced that yet like in the evenings like after coming home from work like i don't go out that much during the week anyway so there's not a whole lot of change yet um yeah maybe talk to me in 10 weeks time when we're coming to the end of this fingers crossed and we'll i might have a different answer but... mental by then yeah we will um but yeah no not not significant changes zach how about you yeah, I've got, I'm not, I think I'm sort of the same boat as you, Jack, because, you know, I went to uni in London and I still live at home. So, you know what I mean? And I was only going into uni a couple of days a week in the end. Yeah. So, I mean, that's been taken out of my day. I miss my, I miss my daily trip to the cafe to work. That's a shame. Yeah. Um, but what can you do? I got very lucky that I got a, someone, my, my gym, which was closed down, um, he had an old rowing machine. So I nicked that. Oh, wow. Him, yeah, for free, which is great. That's uh, decent. Yeah, but it had a monitor. I fixed it. It was broken. I had to solder some stuff together, which was a bit annoying. Um, Whoa. But, you know, that's a free rowing machine. That's 800 quid saved. So I've had that to stay in shape in my house, which is actually just amazingly lovely. Like, that's been yeah. a, a bit of a lifesaver. And I, my house is full of people. Like, the whole... I was going to swear again, but the whole time. I've got my yeah. little sister. I've got my mum. You know, my dad has moved down to Cornwall out of fear. But, like, I had him... And then I've got like three step siblings. You know what I mean? Like I'm not for yeah, lack yeah. of people. Um, so I'm I'm doing pretty well, to be honest with you. I just don't like working at home. I do think there's an interesting thing about how, like it's a sort of, a, it's not controversial, but it's quite a brutal philosophical question. Like at what point is it fair to to keep people inside? Like the utilitarian calculation is like, we'll keep 100% of the population inside so yeah. that, some percentage of the population, probably 1% or less, um, yeah. is less likely to die. But if you're all, you know, if, if we get to 12 weeks and we are all going batshit mental inside, <laughs> you know, like at what yeah. point does, does the, the sort of moral weight of 100% of the population going batshit mental versus no, the moral weight of saving some people? And also, you know, it's a cruel thing to say as well, but you're, I, I don't, I don't want to, put an answer to this like i'm not suggesting that they should relax measures and let people die but there will come a point where there'll be so many people indoors going completely crazy who haven't been out for 12 weeks and you have to ask like how those two those two things weigh up you know mm. like people's no, totally. well-being versus the, the lives of the the elderly and people with pre-existing conditions it's a tough question to ask but it's something the government will have to respond to and however many weeks time yeah, yeah you're right it's a it's an interesting kind of philosophical question and it's a like as a thought experiment it's pretty cool but to be the person to have to make the decision in real life oh, is a lot less fun i imagine absolutely horrible you have to piss someone off but you're right you're right at some point they are going to relax the rules and when they do that inevitably 
I mean, hopefully there won't be like a major spike as some are predicting. But regardless, there will be some uptick in deaths, presumably. But at some point you've got to say, well, we can't do this forever for the sake of, as you say, people's well-being, but also economic impacts, like the number of businesses that are being impacted. At what point it's it's good. Like people are remarking how good it is that it seems like the economy is taking a backseat to health at the moment, which is something you don't always see. Um, But at some point that has to change, like when health becomes less of a priority when a number of people are protected when does the economy then take back over uh, and as you say that's a pretty grim question to be required to answer but someone in government will have to you can make it sound yeah. a little bit less grim because obviously the economic well-being of they the wouldn't country, say that at the press conference yeah but you you know but like the economic well-being of the country does correspond in some capacity to the the mental well-being of the country you see what i mean that's the way i think they'd have to frame it they'd have to say you know, like this isn't yeah. fair on the people of small businesses and all that sort of shenanigans. Well, also, if the economy got so bad, and we're talking like a long way down the road, but if the economy got significantly impacted, then you'd struggle to support people in other ways after this is all over. Yeah. And then you could end up with the side effect being more deaths through the NHS not having enough funding long term, yeah, through lack point. of welfare. Like there are other ripple effects of it that mm. they might not die directly from this, but there will be an impact of this on people's well-being and health. So, yeah, no, tough decision to have to make. There's um, a really good philosophical... It... Oh, keep going. No, no, go for it. You're, going, you're sticking with philosophy. I was going to pivot, so go for it. Oh, no. We're, we're, I was just going to say, it's a really, like... Um, I can't remember who wrote... There's a paper or something like that that basically talks about how all borrowing, economic in economic terms, is essentially you're, you're borrowing well-being and life of people in the future for mm. people in the moment. Um because that's normally what governments spend it on. They spend it on stuff like health and all that sort of thing. But you know that the government in the future is going to have to pay that off. And that likely yeah. means cutbacks on stuff like the NHS in the future. Which means that, you know, it sounds like a trivial thing. You're borrowing some money. But you are essentially making like a, a human sacrifice for short term. No, that's the people who are alive now against the people who will be alive in the future. Hmm. That mm. is a good way of thinking about it. Very mm. interesting. Yeah, it makes who it all sound a bit darker. Here? Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is what happened too long in our own our own houses. <laughs> I thought I wasn't affected by it. Turns <laughs> out. Um, I was going to say, when we're talking about the economic impacts and about the businesses closing down, I found it interesting over the last few days, not only how the government has in some way stra- changed strategy, U-turned, whatever you want to call it, but also businesses have been too. You've seen people like um, McDonald's and Waterstones in the last 24 hours who have gone from keeping their um, businesses open to announcing mm. closures. Some of them come, came under some pretty serious flack, especially Waterstones, which how they were arguing their essential business is kind of beyond me. Um, but they were keeping their stores open, allegedly refusing to let staff use face masks or any kind of protection like that, um, which obviously wasn't popular with staff. Uh, but they've announced they'll be closing their stores. I think it's today. Similarly, McDonald's, which closed all of their... Um, seating areas early last week um, but was saying they'll keep their drive-through and delivery kind of operation open announced yesterday that that's closing at the end of today too and it's interesting that the strategies are changing as time goes on and those are only two examples i'm looking now nando's have done the same thing byron have done the same thing Um, there's all kinds of businesses which sure aren't essential but 
and not the obvious closures that are now also closing down. Because, I mean, it's pretty hard to argue as well that McDonald's is an essential company, but on the spectrum, they're more necessary in some ways than other companies are. Yeah. So it's interesting that as time goes on, we're kind of moving further and further down that line of closing things down until presumably at some point, whether due to kind of economic incentives or the government itself, we're going to get to the point where kind of pharmacies and supermarkets are open and not a whole lot else is. So, yeah, it's interesting to see how this is having effects throughout the economy. Yeah. And might mean that Deliveroo isn't a thing soon, which is funny because everyone was saying when this started, everyone's going to be stuck inside. Deliveroo and Uber Eats are going to make a killing. And now it looks like uh, maybe no restaurants will be open to actually serve them. Oh, I thought there was yeah. that thing where they could change to takeaways. Is that not a thing? Am I going mad? Yeah, that is a thing. They're, they're yeah, it is. To. But they're choosing not to a lot of them. As I say, like yeah. McDonald's, Nando's and Byron all within the last 24 hours have said they'll be doing nothing at all. No restaurants, no delivery, nothing. Um, which, I mean, they're pretty significant uh, restaurants, all of those, especially McDonald's, which is something like, uh, I might be kind of messing up this number slightly, but I was listening to a podcast the other day and there's something like 50% of Uber Eats's the orders at McDonald's. Um, so they're clearly delivering a lot of food. Um, and maybe this is a chance for everyone to get healthy and eat but <laughs> kind of well, homemade what, food. But but isn't I, I know they're not essential. I understand what you're saying. They're not essential. But what about people who are self isolating and indoors and everything? Like like it's still it's not as you say. It's not it's not like uh, it's not like Primark closing or something like that. Yeah. Where it's, it's not like there's no reason to go at all. Like there are benefits and there are certain people who would benefit from. Um, yeah, totally. F- from them being open. So is that uh, like, and I'm not saying it's bad that they've closed at all, because obviously I can understand like the well-being of, of their staff. Like what mm-hmm. if their staff catch something, you know, uh, same with like like delivery drivers. So yeah. is, is is that the sort of argument they're putting their workers first and they, they yes. don't want them to get infected and that's the reason? Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much what all of these chains have been saying is yeah. that they're putting their uh, well-being of their staff first. I mean, ultimately, as you say, there's a risk of them infecting customers too. Yeah. which isn't great from a PR perspective. So you could argue that this is like, at least in part, a kind of cynical move. Um, but they're certainly saying, and you have no reason to not believe that they're doing it um, to protect their staff. And it makes sense. And as you say, yeah, there's certain people that would rely on delivery services. If you were stuck at home alone and you knew you had it and you weren't going outside for any reason at all, then yeah, you're right. Delivering food is a good way to kind of stay um alive even you know what i mean like even yeah. when you're looking at deliveries of food because you could argue like you could get like a tesco delivery or sainsbury's or whatever um but the wait time on supermarket deliveries is outrageous at the moment yeah. um same through amazon even amazon prime is significantly delayed and they're prioritizing um kind of necessary deliveries over kind of i don't know how they're making the t- determination um but i guess like food and that kind of stuff they're delivering before other things so yeah. it's not even necessarily possible that you could get a supermarket delivery or food delivery if you needed it. So yeah, with restaurants and stuff closing, there is a question of do we need at least some things open um, so that people can stay uh, getting the goods and food they need. Yeah. But maybe McDonald's isn't the choice. If we're choosing one restaurant to keep open that's like the best for the nation. Yeah, it's uh, definitely not McDonald's. We probably don't. 
we probably don't want people eating McDonald's every day for every meal for the uh, 14 days they're in isolation. Otherwise, we've got like a bunch of supersized me experiments going on around the country. <laughs> That's very true. I still, I, I'm just, again, ch- sorry, changing the conversation topic slightly again, but I wonder what it's going to be like when we come out of this. Because I, I know that this has been quite a big conversation topic that I, I've, I've seen come up, which is h- how is this going to change people? Because this isn't an insignificant event. This is incredibly... I've been talking to people, and, and I was saying to Jack last week about um, the, the the newspapers constantly like to keep saying that this is one of the biggest events in in peacetime, or this is the biggest interference in people's lives um, uh, since the war. And I remember I said to him last week, I was like, "Winter of discontent, nineteen seventy nine. Like, what about that? Was that is that? But that was like yeah. a week ago, and like now." considering everything that's happened, I'm like, no, it definitely, it is, is more significant than that now. And I was even speaking to my nan the other day who lived through that, and she's like, no, 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 this is, this is, this is bigger. Um, so this is like a massive, and I, I suppose this is going to have a massive impact on like culture, on how people, you know, how people interact, everything. Like, I think this is going to be quite significant over the next, but that's just what I think. Like, what do you two think? Do you think this is going to be huge? Do you think it's going to be like, we're just going to go back completely to normal and we'll go, oh, that was a bit weird. Um, like, how significant do you think this is? Do you think people are just overplaying it now while we're living through it, but when we come out of it, we'll look back and go, wasn't that bad? Like, what, what, do, you, what do you think? Uh, Jack, do you want to go? Or I'm very happy uh, to. Not really. I mean, I can, I can say words, but I don't know if I have full <laughs> opinions yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I, have, I don't have massive opinions on it. I think it'll be interesting to see how it changes the way people work. I think that's probably the most interesting one as to whether or not because if you have yeah. a business that's still running, obviously they now have to do everything remotely. And it's been that sort of thing that for quite a long time now, it, it sort of has been possible to do most work remotely, but there's a sort of slightly antiquated fear that it's going to somehow lower productivity or mean your workers don't do stuff properly. And it'll be, mm. this will be an interesting long-term test run for that thesis. Um, True. And I think that actually at the end of it, a lot of businesses will realize that there are, there are big advantages to letting your most of your work be done remotely um not least in terms of cost because you have to hire a massive office space all that sort of thing um yeah so i I hope that that's a permanent change because i really do think that is that is something that when you think about how the world you know if you should have progressed you know if you told someone in 1990 you'll have the internet and you'll be able to do all you know all face-to-face meetings via skype and You'll have yeah. Google Docs. Yeah, you would think you'd, you'd sort of imagine like a slightly more utopian future where we're all at home working remotely. And you go, oh, you know, I'll go yeah. for a run. Why not? You know, and you're, it's not the same as it was throughout most of the 20th century. So I hope that's my main big hope to come out of this. That's the only thing that I really could see changing significantly. Yeah, um, I mean, fingers crossed we get more flexibility. Like, I feel like coming out of this, everyone's going to want to go back to the office just so they can see people. Um, but I completely get your point that the level of flexibility offered to some employees is unnecessarily low. Yeah. Um, and as you say, if we find that this doesn't make a serious impact on productivity, if people do enjoy the flexibility, then maybe we can see it progress like going forward um but i would still quite like to be able to go to an office because <laughs> being on your own all the time in your house is yeah. pretty dull no but like for i think it's for our office like that makes a lot of sense do you know what i mean like we we yeah. go in we, we hang out we're cool dudes you know we yeah have like yeah. a little chat but like you know you can imagine working some sort of more cubicle shift thing about and i think that for the social aspect of work you can sort of replace that because you know you can pick where you go you go to a cafe you've got people there you go yeah. 
you know what I mean? You'll have a sort of more local uh, work crowd. Um, but yeah, no, that's my only real aspirational change. That's the thing I would like to see happen. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> what do you think about... So uh, was I read... I, th I think, again, I think I read somewhere that there's quite a big recession coming after this. What Have you I read mean, anything about this or got any opinions? I mean, yeah, it, I intuitively, mean, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it depends how severe this is and how long it goes on for. I think there's a lot of modelling, a lot of predictions. Um, ultimately, at this point, it's kind of hard to tell how significant this will be economically. But even already, the economic impact it's had has been pretty rough. Um, yeah. So looking at stock markets and things, it's looking like there will be some kind of uh, negative reaction to this. But, I mean, things could bounce back. If this is a relatively short-term thing, you can mm. see the stock markets bouncing back um, well, fairly quickly without any serious, serious impact. But if we are talking 12 weeks' time, then who knows? It depends how many businesses go out um, go out of business. Um, it depends on so many factors that it's kind of hard to anticipate. But as you say, intuitively, it makes a ton of sense that after something like this, there's going to be such a... Um, such an impact on the economy that there will be a massive kind of recession or massive change in how our economy works. Uh, but at this point, I think it's kind of hard to tell how the market will react um, because it's hard to tell how people will react. Mm. Yeah, I'm not an economist, but I mean, I think the thinking is that essentially if the government can put enough aid in to keep businesses sort of afloat while over yes. 12 weeks, then there should be a sort of V-shaped recovery. Do you know what I mean? Like once people mm. come out of isolation, economic activity kicks back in and all the businesses that were sort of temporarily suspended but kept afloat for that time by the government should just pop back into action. But um, I, I mean, really clearly, economic, clearly economic growth over this year is going to be much lower than was predicted, if positive at all. So there's clearly going to be an economic impact of it. It's just as Zach says, if we can keep businesses alive, if we can keep people um, working as much as possible, then that's going to mitigate some of the worst impacts. But clearly yeah. there will and um, already have been businesses go under because of this. So there is obviously going to be an impact. It's just how significant that impact ends up being. Um, and that's almost unpredictable at the moment. But hopefully with if we're able to keep things under control, at least slightly, um, we should be able to manage the crisis at least i have a mild concern that i mean again i'm not an economist and, and none of us are really which is which is great because it's all bollocks anyway but the <laughs> uh, like um i have a mild concern that with the government and governments internationally going to spend a lot of money um so-called keeping afloat companies like um boeing and like a lot of big companies that already have make massive operational profits year on year and yeah. to be demanding money, which will most likely be sent straight back into stock buybacks and probably won't be in the form of a loan, or if it is, it'll be an interest-free loan. Yeah. Um, and it'll sort of be one of those slightly classic 2008-ish things where the government spends a heck of a lot of money keeping massive companies afloat that end up spouting that straight back into stock buybacks. And we end up, as taxpayers, having to, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah pay off those extraordinary grants or at least cover yeah. the interest on a zero interest loan so that's my only mild concern I, th I think that the government has to essentially avoid falling for the special pleading that certain well-funded and lobbied sectors will claim um 
just sorry, just going back to what we were talking about. I've just seen this on on BBC News, so I just thought about. Oh, I forgot about your tabs. I love yes, your tabs. My tabs. My tabs. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> my tabs again are bringing more conversation. Um, apparently, uh, ministers are considering today about bringing more harsh rules in. Uh, so o- options that they're considering today are advising uh, non-essential retail businesses to close, which I thought they'd already done, but apparently not. Um, and uh, possibly introducing fines on those who break the government's advice against non-essential travel. Um, and just one other thing that I saw, which was about the um, economy, which is that the uh, OECD um, had said that it'll take the world years to recover from the coronavirus pandemic. Um, yeah. And it was wishful thinking to believe that countries will bounce back quickly. Well, that's good so, news. Well, Glad yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cheery right. stuff has anyone got any any positive things because i feel like this is maybe we're coming closer to the end now and all we've done is doom and gloom and i do i am aware that that is all people are hearing and reading because that's all i'm hearing and reading um and i'm really hoping there's gonna be there's gonna be some positives from this i think there are loads of positive news no i think I, okay go on zach well i don't think some they're not like super clear positives but just in terms of what we will end up knowing about how the how our worlds work will be interesting. Like we were talking about the the thing about online work, that'll be interesting. We'll f- you'll find something out about that. You'll also find something interesting about how the economy affects well being. Like, you know, like sure. we're all going to be living through a time when the economy is going to be doing shit as ever, and will be an interesting thing to learn to think about. Like, you know, how much do we really care about the economy if our well being levels stay relatively stable? throughout this time um i i just think it's i don't well, i don't know because i can't tell the future what sort of things we'll learn about the way the, the world works um but i do think that would be interesting i also have yeah. this is this is partisan but i'm gonna say it anyway i think it's good this is just my I, i'm allowed to say this you, you can cut it out if you want but in terms <laughs> of american politics i'm pretty happy with the way that this pans out because I feel like for a long time, I feel like part of the reason we are so complacent about who we elect as politicians is because as, as, a, as an electorate, we haven't really faced anything c- catastrophic is the best way of putting it. Sure. So there's a sort of um, a willy-ninniness about the way, that's not a word, but you know what I mean. So the, I way, mean. We, the way we elect politicians, you know, we elect them on very arbitrary criteria like donald trump he's funny you know he'll yeah. he'll get china i know who he is yeah exactly yeah. he stands and, near gold stuff a lot he must yeah know what he's doing with exactly the yeah he's a billionaire why don't we just give it to him but yeah, Allegedly. It, exactly because yeah it, the, the point is is that you didn't ever think of politicians as as being necessary as it being necessary for them to be able to respond well in a crisis when it this should make it clear that it obviously is like that there will be a downside to electing buffoons as politicians um i don't know this is obviously quite partisan but you see what i mean is that i think yeah, it totally. reminds us that politics is actually important and that government is important and government isn't this mm. silly arbitrary thing that puts you know like so many discussions we've had have been so highfalutin and sort of conceptual about government like for so long like government doesn't really feel like it has that much of an impact on our lives it's sort of highfalutin stuff about eu red tape and bureaucrats and the nation state and you know what I mean. Yeah. It's all, and I think this finally reminds us of the essential point of government, which is the safety net for a catastrophe, and it should hopefully make us think 
a little bit more about who we elect as politicians. It's just good for the collective psyche to have this on their minds, I think. Um, yeah. And I also am happy because I think it makes Donald Trump's re-election far less likely. Depends how uh, well he does reacting. It does, mm. but I think... Because his um, disapproval rates haven't really changed. They've been pretty static, despite his absolutely atrocious response to this. Yeah, well, but maybe I'm wrong. His then. whole argument, his whole argument is the economy, and if the economy does badly in the aftermath of this, he's got much less of a case for it. So I think ultimately you're right, but already it's less clear cut than I would have expected, and the Americans elected him once, surprisingly. So I wouldn't put it past him to do it again. Yeah, but I I think more it's in part that just it might not have been exposed yet but it does lend such an easy attack line for the democrats yeah um and i think that it would be ruthlessly exploited if 2020 even goes ahead but you see what i mean um, yeah yeah totally so i'm i think that's an interesting one i've got two bits of good news to end on go um, for it one of which has come from tabs um and one of which I just knew. Number one, uh, slightly different to what Zach was saying, but dogs can't get the coronavirus. So, you know. No. I do love dogs. So We mentioned positive. that in today's video. Oh, good. good. Well, one, that's one important dog, news for people to know. One dog has got it, though. So it's not dogs what? can't. Yeah, there's one dog in Hong Kong that showed mild symptoms and was diagnosed with a mild case of it. But there's no evidence that they can pass it on. And this is one example. Um, so yeah, no, you can't get coronavirus from a dog and your dog's unlikely to be affected. So you're still right. That's still good news. Okay, that's 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 good news. Uh, and the other one is, have you heard about caremongering? Uh, no. In Canada? No. So apparently there's been caremongering groups set up, which are little groups that go around and they're like helping the more vulnerable people. Like, so they just set up groups on, on Facebook and things like that uh, yeah. to go and help like bring food to people and help each other out. Um, and they've nicknamed the groups as caremongering groups, uh, nice. which, which I really like that. Uh, so caremongering groups uh, offer help to seniors and those most at risk amid the outbreak. Um, and yeah, apparently that's going on quite a lot in Canada at the minute. Um, so the, the yeah, I mean, I've seen I've already seen groups like that um, in the UK. There's one for Nottingham, which I've seen. Yeah, um, there's one one for home as well. So it's it's not it's not exclusive for Canada, but I think the term caremongering has come from uh, has come from Canada, from what I can see. No, I quite like, like that. that. I like that as a as a bit of uh, yeah, uh, just some some good news to end on. That well, at least we've got some it, good it can, news. Yeah, I think it's bringing. I think one of the things is it's it's it unfortunately showing the worst in some people, but it I think it's also showing the best in in others. Like I think yeah. some people are really. It's really showing how how much people are willing to help out, help each other out. Like, there's the one side of things which it shows the worst in people, which is like seen through people hoarding stuff and toilet yeah. roll and all that, like, and being incredibly selfishly motivated. But at least maybe maybe I'm too optimistic. But I like to think that it's it's showing more of the good in people, which is shown through the you know group set up to help each other out and yeah um, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and the little post, have you seen little postcards? that have been made in the UK that people are no. doing. Uh, they're printing these little postcards where you put, write your name at the top, you put your number down, and there's little tick boxes, which is like, I can help you out with your shopping or going collecting oh, your, nice. your medicines and things. And you, the point is you post that through the, the doors of like um, elderly neighbours or things like yeah. that. Um, which again, I think that's a really good idea. So I'm hoping, um, and at least there's some evidence of this so far, that it's going to bring out the best in people um, and it will show how well everyone can work together. So, 
Nice. I'm Let's stay positive. Let's stay positive. It might, it might not be true, but positivity is important as well. So I'll bring the Let's... positivity. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy. How about that. this? Every every pod while the coronavirus is going on, every podcast yeah. that we do, I will bring at least one bit of good news at the end. So okay, we can great. end on something positive. So at least then people listening don't have to sit through an hour of us or however long it is going on about how, how terrible everything is right now and then be more nervous afterwards than they were at the start. So hopefully we'll we'll bring some more, more good news as, as time goes on. Well at least we've learned dogs can't get it. So yeah. everyone's happy now. Yeah. There you go. Lovely job, Luke. Cool. Fantastic.